Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 38 and 39. We have arrived after five long weeks of Lent at Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. Earlier this morning, we proclaimed hosannas to he who comes in the name of the Lord, remembering Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Over the coming week, we will remember Jesus' final instructions to the Twelve, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and participate in the call to wait with Jesus one hour. We will remember his betrayal at the hands of one he called a friend, hear about how he was unjustly tried, convicted, and condemned by those who shared his heritage and should have received him as their own. We will hear of his beatings at the hands of Gentile oppressors, taking wounds in the flesh for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Finally, we will recall his crucifixion, dying a death that, to the world, seemingly disqualifies him to be any kind of savior, making a mockery of the title displayed above him, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. With the whole world on Holy Saturday, we will wait as our Lord observes the Sabbath rest bodily in the tomb while his soul preaches to the captives in the prison of death, as St. Peter tells us in his first letter. Finally, we will celebrate with joy and feasting the resurrection of our Savior from the dead in the vigil and on Easter Sunday. Today, I want to focus on the episode in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus faces the coming hours with sorrow, even to death, as he tells Peter, James, and John. Jesus has just finished the Passover meal with his disciples, has declared Judas to be the betrayer and sent him to do what he will do, and has given the new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. His final instructions given, he goes into the garden with his friends and prepares to face the trials of the day ahead. Once again, we see him select three of the twelve to come closer with him as he prays and faces his sorrow and, as Luke's Gospel says, agony over what is coming. This is no accident, nor is it favoritism. These three men saw him glorified on the mountain, so they ought to have that in mind when faced with seeing Jesus' distress and difficulty. There is some degree of charitable disagreement over whether the episode in the garden constitutes Jesus having felt anxiety. In my own struggles with anxiety, I have at times looked to the episode in the garden as assurance that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, as Hebrews says. It is comforting to know that Jesus is not aloof and unmoved by our own agony, mental failings, or lapses in fortitude. And yet, I have come to be convinced that the episode in the garden does not constitute Jesus experiencing anxiety the way we understand it. At most, having a human body, Jesus seems to have experienced the physical response that we all do when faced with great stress. But this is not the same as what the Bible means when it uses the word translated as anxious or fearful. 
it is also only the smallest portion of what I mean when I refer to my own anxiety. In me, I refer to the disordered state of my stress response, which Jesus certainly did not have, possessing no disorder within him, being the very source of order in all creation. When the Bible refers to anxiety, it refers to a mind that is divided against itself, paralyzed into inaction, or actively turned away into sins of, of commission or omission, for fear of the consequences of restraining wrong action or performing right works. This is why Jesus says, Do not be anxious about anything, because a divided mind has a much harder time choosing the right path. He's also telling us this because anxiety is a great lie. It tells you that you are incapable of doing something, or that you are unworthy, or that something terrible will happen that you can't face. The good news that we are given is that with God all things are possible, that we have been made worthy by God's love of us, and that there is nothing that the powers of death or hell can do to shake us from our security in Christ. Often, the argument for this view that Jesus experienced anxiety in the garden is that of course Jesus was anxious, because he was facing death. Who wouldn't be anxious and fearful in such a moment? This is, in fact, how I have viewed the matter until quite recently. But again, I have been convinced and convicted that this, at best, misses the point of the episode in the garden, and at worst requires scripture to do violence against itself. After all, how could the one who called on others to deny themselves, lift up their crosses, and follow him be so shaken by what he had said again and again he himself must do, to be arrested, turned over to the Gentiles, and be put to death? How could the one who said that death was necessary for better things to come become so grieved over the prospect of putting off his mortal body? St. Hilary de Poitiers goes so far as to equate this assertion, that Jesus' agony was about his coming crucifixion, with the heresy of Arianism, which denies that the Son of God is eternally begotten before all worlds. I am not saying that Jesus did not experience some human desire not to die. What else does it mean when he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me? But having a desire to not go through pain, humiliation, and death is not the same as being ruled by that desire. Anxiety seeks to cause one to be ruled by their fears and distress, which certainly is not the case here. The church fathers all attest that the petition for the cup to pass arose from Christ's humanity, and that the immediately following petition for the Father's will to be done arose from his divinity. So then, if his sorrow, trouble, and agony are not about his own death, what then caused our Lord such grief? The answer reveals the depth of love Jesus has for his disciples. Both those who followed him closely in the body for three years, and we who are separated by the gulf of time from his earthly ministry. When reading about Gethsemane, we must remember that the background is Jesus giving his final instructions to the disciples. He invited these three of his disciples into a time of such vulnerability because they had seen his glory and knew that he is the Christ. 
he knew also that their faith would soon be shaken. As he had told them shortly before that they would all fall away because of him, meaning his impending arrest, conviction, condemnation, and crucifixion. Would it have been better for the three to have not seen their Lord and friend in such great difficulty? Hardly. If Jesus had hidden his troubled spirit from them, then the coming blow to the disciples would have only been more grievous. Seeing him in such agony and sorrow, though they did not fully grasp it, I think actually inoculated them against a true falling away, where they might have recanted their confession of Jesus as the Christ in their frailty. The tapestry of the gospel, as told through the lens of four witnesses, shows us a picture of that night that makes it unmistakable once it is revealed that Jesus is in agony, not for fear of his own life, but for sorrow over what it will do to his disciples. If he can be said to be anxious, he is anxious not because he faces flogging, beating, and a torturous death on a cross, but because of how his disciples will react to it. He tells Peter of the certainty that he will die that he will deny Jesus three times. He knows Judas will soon betray him to the religious leaders. As the word of God, he told the prophets long ago that his sheep would be scattered after the shepherd was struck. When faced with this trouble and sorrow, Jesus acknowledged the difficulty that lay ahead by giving voice to the preference to not have to go through what was coming, and then placed the preference, wishes, and desires arising from his humanity second to the unified will of the Godhead. He did not dwell on his wish not to drink the cup that was his coming passion. In fact, where he asks that the cup be taken from him once, he gives his human will over to the Father and allows his divinity to reign over his humanity three times. Further, even though he saw the frailty of his disciples and knew for a fact they would all fall away and scatter, he still chose to lay down his life for them. Even though his disciples were still ruled by their anxieties and fearfulness, defined by a willing spirit vying against a weak flesh, hindered in faith by eyes that were heavy with the weariness of the world, Jesus still drank the cup of his passion and death so that they and the whole world could be saved. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May the power of Christ, never may the prayer of Christ, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, be on our lips in the day of trouble. Amen.